you will now turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 21, that will be our text this morning. We'll be reading a few verses of 22 as well. And we've actually had a good prelude to our passage today in both our responsive reading and the text that uh, Todd read from Psalm 57, which also refers to this, to this passage in this story. And so with this, I want us to see that David, in the midst of his trials, is very much taken care of by his Lord. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Our Lord, again, as we come to your word, we ask for your help with it. We are um, desperate for your help. We are a trouble to ourselves when it comes to your word. Uh, We would twist it. We would manipulate it um, in order to see ourselves as the hero, to see ourselves as having some good in us, whereas we deserve your goodness And so, Lord, help us to remember that we are helpless, that we are afraid without you, and that we need your word to strengthen us and sustain us, and we need your help to understand your word. And so give us that this morning as we come to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I have struggled lately with, and you guys guys have kind of struggled with us as a family, is just selling our old house. You know, it's kind of a weird thing that you kind of go through. When we moved here, we really loved that house. We really loved the neighborhood. When we moved to Murray and started looking at houses, actually we we hadn't moved to Murray when we started looking at houses, but we saw it, and we were so completely head over heels with it, we just knew we had to make a contract on it that night because we were worried that someone else may take it. You know, we were so excited about that house, and so... Now we're in this other house that we love, and now we're trying to sell the other one that we loved, or maybe still love, I don't know. We kind of see it as a burden and not as a blessing. It's a weird thing that's happened there, right? And so recently I've had to stop and think of everything the Lord has given us the past few years since we've moved out of Maryland. It's been a lot. He's given us nice places to work, or a place to work. He's given us a great church that we have here, a great town to live in. And lo and behold, we own two houses. That's a blessing, right? He is good. He blesses us and we complain about the blessings that we have, or call our blessings burdens, as we are so wont to do. So in our passage today, David will be dealing with some Very difficult situations, situations that threaten his life, that cause him to rely on the provision of the Lord alone, we will see. And it's not that he hasn't shown us that pattern before in his life of doing that, relying on the Lord, but it doesn't mean that it's still not difficult for him. David is running for his life. Saul has men everywhere looking for him. And he he finds help in the strangest of places today as we look at this passage. This passage helps us remember, I think, what it's like to rely on the Lord in those tough situations. 
More importantly, we'll see how much the Lord takes care of his people. Even in the smallest of things, seemingly mundane things, the Lord is always there. In fact, there is never a time when we are without the blessings of the Lord. We couldn't make it without the smallest of them, the breath that we take in. And yet he provides us more and more until our cups are overflowing. And so with that, we're going to consider two main points from the passage today. The blessings, the blessing of the Lord's provision, and then the blessing of the Lord's providence. And so with that, let me read the text for us. 1 Samuel chapter 21, the entire chapter, and then the first five verses of 22. You may remain seated as I read this. 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever there is, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us always when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their blessed vessels be holy? So the priest gave them the holy bread, for there was no bread in there but the bread of the presence, which is removed before the Lord to be placed by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, They have they have or then have you not a spear or sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you have struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before him and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to the servants, Behold, you see, a man is, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I not like madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, 
they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what, the, what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. Amen. This is God's word. And so quickly, just to review on the story, David, remember last week, escaped from Saul's household with the help of Saul's son, Jonathan, who we'll, who we'll hear more from later in the story. And so now there's this massive manhunt for David. David is on the run. Uh, the book kind of takes this new turn now, uh, as David is now this innocent fugitive. There is such a thing and is fleeing and this will take him to many different places as we will see this is a passage interestingly enough that our Lord Jesus refers to when he is teaching on the Sabbath he refers to this passage that we read speaking of how David took the bread of the presence or the show bread as you might see it called or this holy bread that was mentioned there in 21 he takes this bread of the presence because he needed it. He was hungry. And Jesus makes a comparison then that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Well, why would Jesus make this comparison? Well, first, the bread and the Sabbath are both holy things that were to be set aside for holy use. The disciples in the story in, in Mark were, were picking uh, grain and eating it. And they were doing so on the Sabbath. And, of course, the Pharisees, the Sabbath police, were right there real quick to accuse them of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus used this story to show them that the disciples were not in sin because they were hungry. They were eating. Just like David wasn't in sin when he ate this bread. Or Ahimelech in sin when he gave the bread to David to eat. And so the Lord's provision... Of the Sabbath, I think, falls right in line with the text. And Jesus knew that, of course, since he orchestrated the whole thing from the beginning of time. Jesus being the master interpreter of his own words, obviously. And so this is about that in the sense that the Sabbath is his provision for us. I don't want to spend a lot of time here talking about the Sabbath, but I do want to make sure that we understand the gift that we have in the Sabbath. Today we're talking about the provision that God gives us, His providence in doing so, and the Sabbath indeed is a provision that He gives us. It's a day of rest. It's a day of escape, really, if you think about it, from our worldly cares into the arms of Jesus, who says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we do that as we meet together, as we worship together in fellowship with one another. And so let me encourage you then that the Sabbath not just be this time that we're together, but that would be the whole day. Rest and escape 
throughout the entire day. Sunday has sadly become an ordinary day for most folks, even people in the church. And so let us remember that this day is the Lord's day, a gift from him to us and for us. And if you have questions, we can talk about that afterwards, but I think it's important to draw that out since, of course, our Lord Jesus did. But moving on, the first point, blessing of the Lord's provision. So let's first look at this blessing of the bread. David flees, or flees to this place called Nob. A lot of scholars think that Nob became the priestly city after Shiloh, the, the city in the early part of the book, was destroyed. Um, David here meets this priest, Ahimelech. Ahimelech is the great-grandson of Eli. Remember Eli from earlier in the book as well, whose, whose uh, family was supposedly cursed throughout all, throughout all generations. So that would be Ahimelech as well. Um, and Ahimelech is afraid. David walks in by himself. He says, why are you alone? Why is there no one with you? Um, David's reputation precedes him. He's killed Goliath. Of course, Ahimelech knows that the sword is like in the back room or whatever. He would be afraid, right? David walks in. He's an enemy of Saul. Well, kind of. At least Saul or David has, or Saul has made him an enemy. And so, of course, we understand why Ahimelech's afraid. David is a fugitive. He's running away. He's a dangerous man. And what does David do in order to protect himself? He tells a story, right? He says, well, the king sent me here, and I love how it's worded even in the text, to such and such a place. You know, it's, we kind of get that David's making this up as he's going, kind of. But he's doing this to protect himself, and what does he do? He asks for food. He's hungry. He's fleeing. He needs food. He comes to the temple. He knows that there's probably something there. And the priest says, well, there's nothing here. There's no common bread, meaning there's nothing that's set aside for just anyone to eat. There's only the bread of the presence that is here. And the bread of the presence is for the priests to eat. And so turn with me real quick to Leviticus chapter 24. And I just want to ground us in this uh, interpretation of what the bread of the presence is, just so you can see it. Um, Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. And I'll read this. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in the pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion as the food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. And they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. And so here we have this uh, just bit about what the, how the loaves are supposed to be prepared. Um, it gives us uh, an old measurement. Well, we don't really work with those. It's 12 loaves of bread, and if you look at the old measurements and conversions, each one of these loaves weighs about five pounds. That's a lot of bread. And there's 12 of them. 
So, do the math. That's 60 pounds of bread on this gold table given for priests to eat. What's fascinating about the old gods and obviously false gods of this of the culture when Leviticus was written and even even here in 1 Samuel is that many of these false gods required of their followers food offerings to be given to the god because the god needed that provision in order to stay alive in order to be sustained he required provision from the people in order to be there and so the people would have to sacrifice of their own in order to feed this God. And of course, the God never came down and ate the food, so they just had to throw it away or burn it or something. It was not allowed to be touched by anyone. And what do we have here? We have the priests who aren't employed by anybody or anything other than God. They don't have money. They don't have a source of their own provision, except that the Lord gives them one. He feeds them. The Lord provides a system where the priest will be provided for because he lives without needing provision from his followers. Just an interesting look at how we compare him to the gods, the other gods, the false gods there in the culture. So David takes this bread in this time of emergency. And we could definitely say that he was provided for. 60 pounds of bread is plenty for one person. What's the main idea here? Well, the, obviously the Lord provides. He scores a ton of bread, David does, and this is going to help him with his next endeavors, which I think is interesting again to see how this all comes together. Well, next we have the blessing of the sword. And so we get this little bit in verse 7, and this is important as we come to next week's passage, that there's a man named Doeg the Edomite there. That's one of Saul's men who's kind of watching all this go down. It makes you wonder if David somehow changed his tune once he saw him there. We don't know. But David now asks for a weapon. It's an odd thing to ask for in a temple. But again, behold, there's not just a weapon there. It's not just like longsword. It's sword of Goliath. It is a legendary weapon that is there. This is, the, this is a weapon that David has at least wielded once that we know of. He used it to cut the head off of Goliath, its former owner. And so now he is reunited with this sword. And for David, this is like a match made in heaven, right? This is an incredible sword. For the Philistines and Saul, this is a sign of things to come for them. David will wield this weapon the rest of his days. And so again, the thing that David needs... David fled without a weapon, and we know that David is dangerous when he has a weapon. He's dangerous without one. He's killed lions and bears with his bare hands, much less give him a weapon. He's dangerous. Now he's given one. So now he has enough bread to feed an army, and this legendary weapon, which represents his own conquest and prowess in battle. And so now what does he need? He needs an army. To protect him, to keep him safe. What does the Lord provide? He provides an army. We'll skip over this little section about him and Gath. We'll get there. We'll, get, we'll go there when we, with the next point. But verses uh, t- 1 and 2 of chapter 22, look there with me. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. And there they were, about 400 men. And so now he's gathered an army to himself full of folks who aren't happy with the current regime and for one reason or another would be glad to see Saul go. David has food, a cool sword, he's killed thousands, remember the song that we talked about, and all of a sudden whatever looked rough for David is now looking very good. He has an army. What do we do with this? We're not David. We don't like stumble into a church and find 60 pounds of food and a cool sword to take with us. So what do we do with this text? Well, it reminds us that God is still providing even when times seem at their most desperate. And isn't this the way that the Lord does things? He always does it this way. It doesn't always mean that our situations will turn around. Think about desperate times in your life. Think about desperate times in other people's life that you know. It doesn't mean that this is always going to go good as we define good. I'm sure similar situations all throughout history, more times than not, have ended with the innocent fugitive being caught and killed. So don't hear me saying that our situation will always be fixed as we see the word fixed 100% of the time. However, our lives are full of things on which we could look back and say, wow, isn't it amazing how the Lord provided the way that he did? What if you're David and you're reading back through this history of when you were a young man? And looking back at the way the Lord provided, the way that he did. Again, I think of my own situation, our coming to Murray, we look back and we see the Lord's hand in it, his inordinate provision for us as a family. Other situations that I've had in my own life and I've seen in the life of others, there are two explanations really, if you want to get down to it, to seeing the kind of provision that we've been given Not just us as a family, but all of us in here, the kind of provision, the kind of care that we've been given, we can look at it as we've talked about as a good God who takes care of his people, or we could look at it as just sheer luck. Perhaps we stumbled upon the end of the rainbow, and look, there's a pot of gold. Well, one, the pot of gold, doesn't really bear out logically. The other is only the only acceptable explanation in a world that only makes sense with a creator at the helm. That's that the Lord provides for his people. He even provides for those who aren't his. So what about when the Lord doesn't provide? As if there's a time when he doesn't provide. Again, it doesn't exist Just because our house hasn't sold doesn't mean that we've been cut off from the goodness of the Lord. Just because your situation hasn't been completely turned around doesn't mean that God isn't good. It just means that his provision has taken a form that you probably haven't realized yet. 
Or maybe you'll only realize one day when he puts his arm around you and says, look, this is how I was taking care of you. Hopefully we won't have to wait till that time, but we will hear it in that time when we're with him in glory. Remember this, though. His provision to us is always outside of us, meaning it has nothing to do with us. Why is David provided for here? Because he's David? No, because he's one of the Lord's children. Just like his greatest provision for us in Jesus, we do nothing to earn it. The faith that is required to believe in Jesus, that is even given to us as well. Any provision that we have is independent of our merit and our ability to believe God for it. He provides when we are faithful and when we are faithless. Don't believe the lie that tells you that God doesn't provide because you are somehow inadequate. We are all inadequate, and we will always be, and he will always provide anyway. That's the promise, and that is the relief, the relief of the gospel. And so second point is the blessing of of the Lord's providence. First, we see that he has good fortune in Gath. This is one of my favorite little little uh, stories in scripture where he kind of strolls into Gath. Um, remember what Gath is. Goliath is from Gath. Um, Goliath of Gath, the champion of Gath, the giant of Gath that destroyed everybody. He strolls into Gath. Um, when he comes in, kind of has this uh, these songs at his back. He's killed his tens of thousands. He's got the sword of their former champion on his hip. He's got a wanted poster on every post there in town, not because Saul wants him, but because they want him dead. For some reason, he still strolls into Gath. I'm not sure what David was thinking, other than to say that I've never had to run for my life before, thankfully. So I'm sure that affects your thinking and your decision-making ability. So David finds himself in Gath, perhaps thinking that an enemy city is the greatest place to hide from from someone who has them as a common enemy. So David runs right into the hands of his enemies. Look at verses 10 through 12 of 21 with me. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And who are these ten thousands that David has struck down? Philistines, the one whom Achish is king over. And David, once he realizes that, oh, oh, they know who I am. My reputation precedes me. Of course it does. Well, they realize that, hey, this is David. Well, then what does David do? He plays crazy. He kind of has the drool going down his face. He's... Marking up the gate, whatever that means. It's something that seemingly crazy. And, and it works. Isn't this the oddest thing? So why would it matter if he's acting crazy? This is war. 
you have this one right in front of you who has killed your champion, who has killed thousands of Philistines. This is David. Kill him. He's nuts. It doesn't matter that he's crazy. You kill him anyway, or you put him in prison. You do something different with him. But what do they do with him? They say, he's crazy. Let him go. We can only look at this and say, isn't the Lord good? The invisible hand of the Lord somehow working behind the scenes in a way that we can't understand. And we can only see here in hindsight because the story is written down. It makes no sense for us why David was allowed to leave. But he is. And also he was able to flee Saul once again in this Philistine city. And then next you see his passage in Moab. Safe passage in Moab. He goes to Moab. There, and we see something similar. Moab isn't necessarily on great terms with Israel. And later it's going to get worse as far as their, their uh, relationship with Israel. But for now, David needs a safe place for his parents to go uh, to find safety. So why would Moab protect Jesse and his wife? Why would, why would Moab protect the parents of David? It makes no sense. Why would David go to the king and say, please watch after my parents that Saul doesn't kill them also? Well, remember, the book just before this one, Ruth, is about Naomi and Ruth, a Moabitess, the great-grandmother of Jesse. A book about redemption, whom, remember, Ruth is redeemed, Boaz is her redeemer, and now there, or David's great-great-grandmother was from this place, and don't you know that he used that to his advantage, and his parents get safe rest in Moab. We might want to call this luck or coincidence, or we can just look at the fact that there is a loving, sovereign hand that knows all ends and controls them. There is a lot of comfort in the Catechism's definition of the word providence. The Catechism's definition is this, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So when we, we read this, we might want to say, wow, that's a cool coincidence that Ruth was from Moab and now they're in Moab and need help. No, it's the sovereign Lord that orchestrates all of this. And then next we have this blessing of a prophet. He's there in Moab. He, verse 9, or verse 5, excuse me. Then the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold, depart, and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Herod. Why is there a prophet there to talk to David, who happens to know that he should leave? Again, we could probably try to make up a more incredible story, but it would be really hard for the future king of Israel to be saved time and time again and to have all of these different instances going on in his life to do so. It's a story that fits perfectly together because the writer of the story is also the creator of the world and the sovereign of all things, the one who governs all his creatures and all their actions. And so what for us? 
Well, God is orchestrating things to work together for us as well. We aren't David, but just like us, David required the blood of Jesus Christ for eternal life. He's no better than we are. We're no worse than him. We're both sinners who need a savior, and he's orchestrated our lives, both of them, David's and ours, because we are our children of God, his precious possession, his inheritance, and of course, he's going to work all things together for our good. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at a verse that you all know, that you've all heard. Hopefully we can see this verse a little differently by looking at its context and see how it really applies here in this particular passage. I want to read Romans 8, 26 through 30. Looking at these ideas of David's complete helplessness, David's need of a Savior, and then the Lord's provision to help his children and those whom he has set aside from the beginning of the earth. And so look here with 26 and through 30 of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called... Those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. And so consider this in the context of not only itself, but also looking at how the Lord provided for David. We are so weak that there are times that we won't even know what to pray. I would say that's most of the time. Would David have prayed for safety in places like Gath and Moab for 60 pounds of bread and a ragtag angry army? No. But the Spirit knows. He intercedes for us. He searches our hearts. He knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows how to pray. And so therefore, what can we rest in If the Spirit is praying for us, even while we are too weak to understand and pray ourselves, what can we rest in? The fact that He is working all things together for the good. Because even in our weakness and our lack of understanding, our lives are coming together to do what? To bring Him glory. Why? Because we are His. We have been foreknown, predestined, justified. We will be glorified. We are being conformed to the image of His Son. Of course He's going to help us. What would He withhold from us? 
And of course, we are only going to get that which is good, that which is for his glory. Now, careful here, do we get to define good? No, of course not. Good is defined by our Lord, and his version of good might be tough, just like David's situation, but it is good. And so with that, life might be difficult for a time, or for the entire time. I don't know, only the Lord knows. But that doesn't mean that it won't be good, because our Lord is at the helm. And don't forget, all provision and providence that we see in Scripture leads to the greatest provision of all time, the provision of the Son, for his helpless people. We are the helpless one who requires everything in order to be saved. We can't even know that we need to be saved without the Savior's provision. We need faith. He gives it to us. We need righteousness. He gives it to us. We need grace to even lift up our heads in worship this morning. He gives it to us. In Christ, we are truly saved, not only from the wrath of God who would cast us into hell for our sin, but also from ourselves, who would readily walk back into that state of helplessness, thinking it was the only and best option. If you don't know Jesus this morning, call upon his name and be saved. Be saved from the wrath of God. Be saved from yourself who thinks that helplessness is the best option. He will save you from the Father's wrath. He will provide you salvation from sin and death, giving you the very riches of heaven. There is no better option. And so in conclusion for us, brothers and sisters, the Lord provides. Even when we don't think he is, even when we don't think he is, he's giving to us his people. If you don't think he is, let me encourage you and challenge you to ask someone else in your life to help you point out, to help you see the blessings in your life. I've actually done this from time to time. I think my life is pretty bad right now. Tell me that it's not. And it's incredible to hear what other people see in your life as provisions and the goodness of the Lord working in your life. The Lord works all things together. Everything in your life is being worked together for your good and for his glory by your Savior. Again, the same thing. Ask someone who knows you to tell you how, how good the Lord is to you. It's a humbling thing to hear how good the Lord is to you when you don't think he is. And so how do we respond? We bow and worship. We sing, we sing our praises to him. And we trust in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are unlike David in that uh, we would probably just lay on the ground and give up, not trusting in you for provision, not seeing your hand of providence. And so, Lord, help us. Bring others alongside us to show us your goodness, to show us your mercy, to show us the way that you've been working in our lives. We tend to think everything is horrible, but you are good. And you have called us, and you have justified us. You have written our names in the book of life, and you plan to be with us forever. You have given us your Son. What would you withhold from us? 
And so, Lord, help us to see that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.